You hear that? A sure sign that it's finally spring. It's me, Cindy. It's been official on the calendar spring for ages, it seems, but not that blue sky, perfect temperature, oh my God, it's beautiful kind of spring that we wait all winter for. That we, being anyone who lives on the north, east, northwest, or just north of the country. You know, those of us who spend six or more months enduring the bundling up to brace for the cold outside, snow shovel at the ready heating bills making your eyes sting winter. Part of why we do it is, well, because that's weather, nature, out of our control, and partly because we live here, whether by chance or circumstance. I grew up in the real winter country, Chicago. Winds that could blow you off your feet if you're short on heft. Temperatures that hover between teens and single digits, where sinking below zero is a shock to the system, but not shocking because, yeah, winter. I lived out in San Diego for a while. Let me tell you how insanely glorious it was to get the overdose of spring-like weather when the calendar was telling me I should be coating up. But I learned I am a true blue Four Seasons human, getting to the point where I was so bored with the lack of bite, the absence of challenge, and that sense of reward when the forecast shifted from brace yourself to get out there and celebrate. So I headed back to the land of Four Seasons. Sometimes when it's inhumanely bitter but I have to go out into it, I think of the women who came before me, generations back before thermostats and insulation and electricity, when fireplaces and layers of wood and sheer determination got them through to spring, and I think if they can do it, who am I to be all chicken and whiny about the cold? Of course, I also know their lives are way shorter, but still, I take inspiration from knowing they plowed through. Now, finally, after the hats and scarves and gloves, the ice scrapers, the snow shovels, the do I really need to go to the store today, the survival mindset, comes the big reward for getting through winter, spring. The birds are back and nesting. The bugs are back with tiny ants trekking through the kitchen. There will be mosquitoes and ticks. Oh, wait, did you know that possums eat ticks? Gross, but helpful to know if you see signs of those ugly weaselish creatures. You can think of them like pest control specialists providing the service for free. That's great, right? Especially here on the east end of Long Island, where ticks carry the threat of Lyme disease, which wouldn't pose such a threat if so much development hadn't chased the deer that carry the tiny ticks that carry the limes out of the woods that were plowed down, chasing them to try to live among us. Poor little things. The deer, not the ticks. I've no sympathy for ticks, because you. Anyway, back to pleasant thoughts of spring. This past weekend was the first that lives up to the promise, and garden centers were packed as everybody, or so it seemed, ran out to get what they needed to bring their yards, their lawns, their gardens back to life. I don't have any clever or helpful gardening tips to share. Gardening is another among the things I don't do particularly well. Oh, I plant perennials, the drop-in and hope for the best plants that come back to life in the spring, giving me a head start on decorating the yard. I add a few annuals, the ones that come one season and are done. You know, snapdragons, impatiens, marigolds. Then I cross my fingers and hope for the best. I know many who like nothing more than digging in the dirt, planting, planting, pruning. I'm happy for them. But I'm happiest when the plants are in and I can wash all the dirt off and bask in the glow of accomplishment. Plus, you know how much I love color, don't you? Well, if you don't, you do now. And I love the continuing, astounding variety in a garden. The differences in the flowers, the petals, the shapes, how the color of the flower and the shade of its leaves always go so well together. 
I love zooming in with a camera lens to capture the stunning detail of a lavender blossom or a nearly microscopic catmint flower. They are, when you see them, like tiny orchids. I love how with some flowers, even the buds are beautiful, and some change color as they or after they open. A flower seems like just a thing, a flower, but the stages to blooming, and even once they're in their full glory, can still be full of surprises. Take Lantana, one of my favorites for its 60s pop art color schemes. One has a row of tiny deep pink blossoms circling tangerine orange blossoms surrounding a center of tiny yellow blossoms. They're gorgeous. Impatience are great because they constantly bloom in whatever shade of pink or red the plants are. And in the fall, the fallen blooms make way for little bubbles of seeds that you can squeeze gently and pop, sort of like nature's bubble wrap, only silent. Pansies are especially great if you have tiny kids who are driven to pick flowers. Because the more pansies you pick, the more they flower, so everybody's happy. Snapdragons are also great, wildly colorful, great for cutting and sticking in a vase. And did you know if you gently squeeze the two sides of any of the flowers, you see how they get their name because they look like little mouths snapping. Another great trick to show kids. Really, you can plan a garden that will bloom into a scene from Alice in Wonderland or something akin to when Dorothy lands in Munchkinland, especially those stalks of hollyhocks or poppies, you know, poppies. I love me some flowers. And I'm fascinated by how ornate they can be. The colors, the petals, the buds, the blossoms. If you want to see variety, plant a garden or just find one to visit. There's something really special about taking in a really beautiful garden or walking down a path through the woods or the view of the horizon over the water. Something restive that resets your whatever. You know what I mean, though, right? We're not the only ones who know that. It's not purely emotional how we react to being in nature. It has actual physical benefits, physiological reactions. Remember that story of how Scottish doctors were prescribing doses of nature to feel good? It turns out the Scots are not alone. In Germany, there's Nipe therapy. It has patients doing physical exercises in the clearings in the woods. The Japanese have something called Shinran-yoku, or forest bathing, where patients walk through forested areas taking in the woodsy sense. Shinran-yoku results in patients having lower blood pressure, lower pulse rates, lower levels of cortisol. That's the stress hormone. It's not a surprise when you learn that natural environments promote calmness and well-being, partly because they expose people to low levels of stress. Interesting to consider that humankind has spent 99.99% of its entire history living in natural environments. But today, that's anything but the case, so we have to make the effort to go and bring our kids deeper into nature. So, a garden, great idea. That info on forest bathing and nipe therapy came from a fascinating book I just read called Drunk Tank Pink and Other Unexpected Forces That Shape How We Think, Feel, and Behave by Adam Alter. The title, Drunk Tank Pink, comes from an experiment back in the late 70s that resulted in painting holding cells bubblegum or Pepto-Bismol pink to reduce aggression in prisoners. Sounds weird, right? 
Although having just read all about the power of color on emotion in the last book, Joyful, it's not as big a surprise now. Okay, so Drunk Tank Pink began with the experiment of having a group of men tested for strength, then staring at two pieces of cardboard, one deep blue, one bright pink. Afterwards, the men were again tested for strength, and all but two of the 153 guys in the experiment were noticeably weaker after staring at the pink board, resulting in the discovery of pink's tranquilizing effect. Hearing the results, two naval officers painted a holding cell bright pink and then found detainees to be noticeably calmer. So the color started being used in county jails and became known as drunk tank pink. By the 80s, it was also being used by doctors, teachers, dentists, parents of unruly kids, bus companies finding that pink-painted seats deterred vandalism, and even a couple of uh, sneaky football coaches caught on and painted the visitor's locker room pink. Another interesting behavior change noted in the book is the power of eyes, even photos or drawings of eyes. One corporation found nobody was chipping in for coffee using the honor system. So they tried an experiment at the coffee station. They posted a photo of flowers, which made no difference at all. And then they posted a photo of eyes. And guess what happened? People started paying. The mere suggestion that someone was watching prompted triple the previous contributions for coffee. Similar results came when billboard signs of eyes were posted on the roadways. It reduced speeding. Why? Well, as the philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre noted 60 years ago, as soon as we imagine we're being watched, we start to notice how we're behaving, and we imagine then how others might find those behaviors unacceptable. Again, the book is called Drunk Tank Pink, and it's a pretty fascinating read, especially if you're interested in what makes people tick, or what you can do if you want them to tick differently. But save the book reading for later, or bring it outside to read it because this perfect spring weather won't last forever.